you have your Bibles, open them to God to uh, the gospel. Open them to uh, Psalm 29. So we used to say to the gospel. We're going to look at a message entitled Finding Strength in God's Peace. If you keep current on the news in our day, it can be disturbing at times, right? I mean, it seems that all we hear and read and see are, are stories about violence or war or the threat of wars around the globe. Stories uh, about nuclear threats from North Korea and their leader, Kim Jong-un. War raging between Israel and Hamas, terrorists who perpetrated heinous, unspeakable crimes against women and children and innocent non-combatants. The stories in our own country about violence on our street, in our streets and on our campuses, UNLV, you guys read about that this past week, just a few days ago, but right here in, our, in the Tri-Cities just this past week, a, a homicide, and then a, the perpetrator took his own life. All members of the same family, uh, uh, one woman lost her husband and her brother on the same day. Tragic story. No place worse than Chicago, the most violent city in the United States. 725 homicides in 2022. 2,600 people shot in that city. And even our churches have not escaped. Uh, tragedies like the one that occurred at First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs, Texas in November of 2017. 26 dead, countless others scarred. Those incidents and others like them have affected us all. Churches across America, including ours, have, have begun to take, had to, begun to take, begin to take security more seriously. You have people right now that are, that are on duty, so to speak, while we're in here worshiping to provide that security. Stories of, of violent terrorism here in the United States and abroad are so prevalent, they come so often that sometimes they hardly raise an eyebrow. And so it's understandable when we hear Bible verses or sing carols that speak of peace on earth that they might sound, sound a bit idealistic. That's not the reality that we're facing in our time. It does seem that there's no way to have peace, no way to find peace on earth. So how do we answer questions about the lack of peace that characterizes our time? When we read yet another story this coming weekend, we surely will, of unspeakable violence somewhere in our world, somewhere in our country, somewhere in our city, will we shrug, shrug our shoulders and say, well, you know, it's just inevitable. That's just the times that we live in. But are, is there anything at the root of it? Could the answer be that we lack peace ourselves? That these outward manifestations of violence and hatred, this turmoil that we see, is, is merely an indication of the inner turmoil, an inner unrest, an almost disabling angst that has penetrated people's hearts. Tur turmoil, unrestricted by geography, unrestrained by poverty, unaffected by ethnicity, uncontrolled by religion. Is it possible that the innumerable conflicts and struggles and fighting ongoing in our world are largely an outflow 
of this inner unrest in our hearts and minds? Of course, we know the answer, don't we, beloved? Would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? The psalmist writes, May the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people with peace. Father, we desperately desire this peace in our lives for the situations that threaten to inundate us in our world and our community, Father, for tragedies that have occurred in our own going. And Lord, we would desire that there be peace among men, peace on earth, truly, and peace in our lives, peace in our hearts. Help us to see what is the focus of genuine peace as we examine your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. First thing that I would posit to you is that the search for genuine peace has been corrupted. The search for genuine peace has been corrupted. The vast majority of the people in this world, I I really believe this, maybe I'm a glass half full kind of guy, but I really believe that the majority of people in this world desire peace. And peace has been sought for and treasured down through the centuries. There's always been peace movements, and there's always been those who cry out, peace, peace, when there is no peace, as they did in Jeremiah's day. still happens today. It seems there's always some kind of march or or nonviolent demonstration designed to bring attention to the need for peace and unity in an area which is really usually of little threat to us. It's remarkable the things people will get excited about. It does seem logical that anyone who, who values life in general would, would want peace, right? But if so many are calling for peace, why is it that we, not, that we do not have peace? Why is that? Could it be that the search for peace has been corrupted and that corruption lies in the nature of the peace that we're seeking? It's true that there are many calling for peace in our day, from Dr. Phil to the Dalai Lama, and who I believe are sincere in their desire to bring peace into our lives. But is the peace they're attempting to bring into our lives genuine peace? In John 14, 27, we read the words of Jesus as He shares His promise of genuine peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, Jesus clearly delineates the nature of the peace that He offers there in that text. It's inarguably not the kind of peace that the world offers. Jesus is saying that there's something, people in this world, individuals, entities, governments, something they will attempt and are attempting to pass off as peace, not as the world gives to you, he said, which in the end, he says, is not real peace at all. Of course, Jesus knew history as recorded in the Scriptures. He knew that in Ezekiel 13, 10, as in Jeremiah, the prophets had said something along these lines. I've led my people astray, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. When we're talking about peace, it's important that we know what is genuine peace. What is real peace? 
If we fail to grasp what real peace is, we can be deceived into thinking there is peace when it actually does not exist. One of the most common definitions the world uses for peace, you've heard this ad nauseum, is the absence of conflict. In the eyes of so many who work so hard to bring about peace, they see peace being achieved when there is an end to hostilities. And absolutely, it would be wonderful if all these nations and groups and ethnicities that are fighting each other would lay down their murderous weapons and antagonistic ideologies and work as hard at peace as they do at fighting one another. If they would come together and and work out their differences diplomatically. None of us would be opposed to that, would we? But for followers of Christ, there's a greater concern because as good as it sounds... That kind of peace falls short of the biblical ideal. It's not enough for foes to quit fighting, maniacs to stop murdering, or terrorists to stop terrorizing. And that brings us back to the fact that most of the world is confused, really just wrong, about what genuine peace is. It is not merely the absence of conflict. And that's because even when outward hostilities end, the inner conflict remains and will eventually rise to the surface once again the real need we have is for something far more than a mere absence of conflict physical conflict it is for genuine inner peace and the sad thing is until that kind of peace is a part of people's lives we're destined to continually experience hate hostility and fighting That's because the search for peace has been corrupted. In our world today, what we most desperately need is genuine inner peace. The provision of His peace is the answer. We need the peace that comes from the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Peace, the one mediator between God and men, Jesus Christ. The kind of peace we need can only come from the one who has promised a peace that transcends all understanding, that will guard our hearts and minds. And we look to the Old Testament and to a passage that I'm going to share with you to see the key to that peace. It's Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because, read it with me, he trusts in you. So the key to peace is trusting in God, having a firm foundation, faith and the one who is the source of genuine peace and as we do that as we remain firm in faith our faith steadfast in our trust in him we will begin to experience a peace that comes from god to trust the dictionary tells us is to believe in the reliability the truth the ability or the strength of something or someone. So it comes, when it comes to trusting God, that means believing in His reliability, believing in His Word, believing in His ability, believing in His strength. The Bible says that God cannot lie, that He always keeps His promises, that He loves you and has good in store for you. Trusting in Him, believing that, means believing that, believing that what He says about Himself, what He says about the world, what He says about you, is true. And beloved, trusting God, in this day and age we need to say this, trusting God is, is more than a feeling. 
It's a conscious choice to trust what he says, even when your feelings or your circumstances would have you believe something different. Now listen, I'm not saying your situation and your circumstances and your feelings don't matter. They do matter. They are important. They are very much worth paying attention to. God cares about your feelings, your circumstance, and your situation. Okay? You hear me there? But we know they can fluctuate so often and so wildly. Sometimes in an instant, things can change for us. A phone call in the middle of the night or early in the morning. A knock at the door. And our lives can be turned inside out. God, on the other hand, does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and He is eminently worthy of your trust. So God is not about, trusting God is not about ignoring your feelings or pretending your reality is not difficult. It's not about pretending that everything's okay when it isn't. Trusting God is living a life of belief in and obedience to God even when it is difficult. Our faith then moves from a position where the terms of peace are about ourselves and what's happening in our lives to the faithfulness of God and what He has promised us in His Word. He's promised to be our stronghold in times of trouble. He's promised to be a shelter from the storm. He has promised you, beloved, to be the God of all comfort, your rock, your shield. He has promised to be the God who will give you comfort and encouragement. He has promised to be the strength of your heart. That is God Almighty who's made that promise. Our situation and our circumstances may vary and cause conflict and great distress and a peace that depends on our situation, on our circumstances, on our feelings, is not genuine peace. But if our peace rests in the Lord of heaven and earth, then the world can literally be falling apart around us with fighting and chaos and loss on every side, and we will yet be able to rise above that chaos, chaos and calamity because we have an inner peace. Because we have an inner peace. It cannot be shaken. This is not the worldly kind of peace defined as an absence of conflict, but a genuine peace that is present even in the midst of conflict because we trust God. It's a peace that comes from Him. Looking at another Old Testament passage, Psalm 4, 8, we see there a man who knew what conflict was. A passage written by David, whose life was, was filled with conflict, it was filled with hostility. King Saul was out to get him. Had chased him all over Palestine. His enemies were everywhere. And still here in Psalm 4:8, he writes, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Again, David, in our key text for today, Psalm 29, 11, writes, May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord give his people peace. David understood that it was the Lord who was the source of his strength and peace. Listen, he comprehended his own insufficiency and embraced God's all-sufficiency. 
David got it. He had a grasp on the truth that many in his day and in our day do not have. He knew that God was able to take care of him. David does not have peace because he's not facing turmoil. He has peace unaffected by turmoil. I wonder where he learned that. Was it when he fought the lions and bears to protect his father's sheep? Could it have been in the moments before or after or during when he faced the Philistine giant Goliath with only a sling and five stones? Or perhaps he learned it while he was fleeing from the murderous wrath of Saul? I don't know where David learned to trust in God, but somewhere he learned that the Lord was his peace. David had experienced the provision of peace which comes from God. Genuine peace is also described as peace with God through Christ. We read in Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, there's the pivotal act of believing, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God our Father is the source of our peace. And the result of us having peace with God is that the war with Him is now over. We no longer live in enmity. The battle has ended. Reconciliation has come to you and me through Christ if we know Him as Savior. And this is the fundamental need, the most basic need that we have, this peace with God. It's foundational to all other pursuits of peace. If we don't go there first, all other experiences of peace will be superficial. They'll be temporary. Justified. Justified by faith. Paul says, means that God declares you to be just in His sight, just in His sight, by imputing to you the righteousness of Christ. And He does that by faith alone. Since we have been justified by faith, it's not by works, it's not by baptism, it's not by tradition, it's not by church membership, it's not by personal piety, it's not by parentage, but by faith alone. Say by faith alone. When God enlivens our dead-in-sin hearts and minds by faith, we are then capable of choosing to believe in Jesus Christ as a Savior and the Lord and the supreme treasure of our lives. We are united with Him and His, that is, Christ's righteousness is counted by God as ours. We're justified by faith and the result is peace with God. God's anger with us over our sin is put away. Our rebellion against Him is overcome. God adopts us into His family. And from now on, His dealings with us are for our good. He'll never be against us. He's our Father and our friend with and through whom we have genuine peace. We've been reconciled by His physical body, that is, Christ's body through death. Paul says in Colossians 120, that the hostilities are over, that now we have peace with God through Christ. But there's more. Because we not only have peace from God, we not only have peace with God, we also have the peace of God. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is one of the most precious passages for many of you, most of likely one of your favorites. Do not be anxious about anything, Paul writes, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made, may be, excuse me, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds 
in Christ Jesus. The picture here is that our hearts and our minds are under siege. They're under assault, be it guilt or worry or threats or confusion or uncertainty. They all threaten our peace. And when Paul says that God wants to guard your hearts and minds, he means guard them with his peace. He guards them in a way that goes beyond what human understanding can fathom. The mistake we often make is that we put constraints, we put limits on the peace of God based on what we can see, based on what we can wrap our minds around. But listen, beloved, God gives us a peace that is a supernatural peace, a peace of supernatural origin that from the world's perspective seems irrational. We, His own children, cannot possibly fully comprehend it, much less can the world. And He does this when we take our anxieties to Him in prayer and trust Him and trust that He hears us, trust that He will protect us, trust that He will carry our anxieties for us. As Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties upon Him because He cares for you. Say, He cares for me. Beloved, when we totally rely upon our Father, remember we already have peace with Him if we're His child, right? When we come to Him and trust Him, truly trust Him as our loving and almighty Father to help us, His peace comes to us and steadies us and protects us from the disabling effects of grief and fear and anxiety and guilt. And then we're able to carry on. And listen, then here's the bottom line. God gets the glory for what we do with and in that peace that He gives. And that's the point all along, that God be glorified. When you and I say to someone, don't be anxious about that. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't be afraid. What, what are we trying to do? We're trying to encourage that person, right? We're trying to maybe caution them in, in a helpful way. But when Jesus, or Peter or Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, say to us, don't be anxious, I want you to understand this. It comes with the force of a moral command. In other words, it is the moral will of God that you and I not be anxious. Or to say it more explicitly, anxiety is sin. And I'll give you two reasons anxiety is sin. First, anxiety is sin because it is fundamentally a distrust of God. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus asks us, If our Heavenly Father takes care of the birds and the lilies of the field, will He not much more take care of your temporal needs? And Peter told us that the basis of casting our anxieties upon God was that He what? He cares for us, right? So, so when I give way to anxiety, when I allow stress and anxiety to overwhelm and debilitate me, I am in effect saying that God does not care for me, that He will not take care of me in that particular circumstance that has triggered my anxiety in that moment. I want you to think about this. It's a drive it home, Hope. Suppose someone you love very much, the person you love most in this world, 
You think about that person right now. Who is it you love most in this world outside of Jesus? Outside your pastor. (laughs) What if that person were to say to you, I no longer trust you. Oh, I know you love me. I know you've promised to take care of me, but that's not enough for me to trust you in this particular circumstance. Can you imagine how hurt you would be? What a hurtful and harmful insult that would be. Now, do you see it, beloved? A little inductive preaching here. Do you see it? Anxiety is a sin because it demonstrates a fundamental lack of trust in God. And then anxiety is a sin because it's a lack of acceptance of God's provision in our lives. God's providence can be simply defined as God orchestrating all circumstances and events in this universe for His glory and our good. Now some folks, believers included, have difficulty accepting the fact that God does in fact orchestrate all events. And even those of us who do believe it often lose sight of that glorious truth, don't we? Listen, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither are His ways our ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are His ways higher than ours. Which is to say, our God, our Father is far, far too complex for you and me to fully comprehend. And practically speaking, that means there are times when He only lets you know what you need to know when you need to know it. And what you need to know is this. When it comes to His own, His actions are always characterized by kindness, by compassion, by grace, by mercy by forgiveness, by fatherly love and care. That's what you and I need to know, and really when it gets down to it, that's all we need to know. Trust me, your Father says. Trust me. Instead, we tend to focus on the immediate causes of our anxiety rather than remembering that those immediate causes are under what? The sovereign control of God, your Father, who loves you and has only your good in mind. This Christmas, I want you to take your anxieties to God. Tell Him about them. I know who He already knows. Tell Him anyway. And ask Him to help you. Ask Him to protect you. Ask Him to guide you. Ask Him to restore your peace. And then to use you to make peace. There's something extraordinarily, supernaturally unique about the peace of God. According to Paul, it's a peace we cannot hope to understand with our human minds. We got a phone call one morning in April of 2008 from Vicky's father saying that a state trooper had come to his home and let him know that Courtney, our daughter, had been killed in an automobile accident. And all we knew was where they had taken, what funeral home they had taken her body to. And I remember after getting over the shock of it, and then that was past the funeral home and back home, and 
the shock finally wore off and I, I remember thinking I ought to be more upset I ought, to be, I ought to be like the ancient Hebrews I ought to be in sackcloth and ashes just weeping and wailing and mourning and yet there was this peace in 2015 in October knock on the door early one morning awakened us and it was a police officer coming to say that our son Chris had died same thing shock that lasted for a bit and then this overwhelming sense of peace and I just wonder why why am I not more upset why am I not grieving and I mean just weeping uncontrollably and so many of you have been there and in that tragic chaotic scene felt this strange otherworldly sense of calm just just wash over us a calm and a peace that that kind of made us feel like there's something wrong with me why am i not grieving more because given what was happening we should be weeping and wailing and struggling and reacting with anything but peace and perhaps in that moment we did not grasp why we had that peace that in a very real sense surprised us because it was there yet it should not have been there but then we remembered we remembered whose we are and we understood and we understood why we had peace Yes, it is this kind of peace that surpasses understanding, but it is a peace that we must allow to rule our hearts. As Paul tells us in Colossians 3.15, you see, with, with the peace of God ruling our hearts, it doesn't matter what the world brings our way. It doesn't matter what tragic losses we have to deal with or what the enemy brings into our life or what our own mistakes bring into our life. We can deal with them. And those situations and those problems are going to come, beloved. Jesus told us in John 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you may have trouble. Is that what he said, Todd? You will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now let me speak to those of you this morning who've never known the kind of peace we're talking about today. Sounds kind of foreign and silly to you. Talking about those who've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and I think as well as to those who know Christ but are struggling to rest in His peace. You may be thinking, if there's such a peace possible, then what do I need to do to acquire it or to reacquire it if I've had it and lost it? If we think back over the Scripture verses we've already looked at this morning, you can see a process that unfolds that will bring you the kind of peace we're talking about that everyone, all of us, so desperately need. Peace, you see, is the result of a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a product of that relationship. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit are listed, given to those who trust Christ. Peace is one of those. In other words, peace is a fruit of our relationship with Christ by the Spirit of God, and it comes to us in several important ways. 
The first and foremost important way it comes to us is by trusting God for salvation. We've already seen in Isaiah 26, 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts, that is, that person trusts in you. Something that, that occurs as we learn to keep our mind faithfully focused on Christ and nurture the kind of deep, intimate, I'm talking about, relationship that we need to have with Him is that you come to experience, by experience, to trust Him. The basis for our peace is not merely what we think about the Lord. It is that we're actually putting our, actually putting our trust in Him. And the reason we keep our mind faithfully focused on Him is because we understand and believe in His sovereignty. He's in charge, regardless of what comes, right? Regardless of what things may look like to us or to anyone around us, He has things under control. God is in control. Say, God is in control. We get surprised. God never gets surprised. And we learn that if we'll just keep our eyes fixed on Him... He'll calm our hearts. He'll guide our thoughts and our actions with a heavenly wisdom. He'll wash over us with a supernatural presence of peace. Another aspect of our trusting Him for salvation is the idea of an, developing an intimate fellowship with Him. If we are in fellowship with Him, confessing our sins, asking for forgiveness, praying to Him, listening to Him, seeking to know Him, reading and obeying His Word, applying His Word to our life through obedience. A blessed result of that kind of intimacy is the peace that we've been talking about. These two, prayer and praise, are vital parts of this intimate relationship I'm talking about, this intimate fellowship with God. They are inextricably linked to God's peace. Look again at Philippians 4, 4-7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You get the connection, don't you? I mean, the connection between the peace of God, which guards our hearts, our hearts and our minds, and the prayer and thanksgiving which comes before. You get that connection, right? The bottom line is this. If we're really going to have peace, we must come to Him. We must place our faith in Him. We must seek to develop an intimate relationship with Him, not just be close to Him with our lips. And prayer and praise bring us into that relationship. It is impossible not to receive God's blessings if you are a genuine prayer and praiser. Wouldn't you like to be free from anxiety? Wouldn't you like to be free from worry? That's exactly the promise of God that is available to you. For many, perhaps, what we're talking about really here is, is fear. You'd never admit that, but... It is. I mean, you stand on the edge of some dark choice, some fearful choice. Doesn't seem to be a good end either way you go. Outcomes are not clear. You, you may face 
be in a situation where you need to reconcile two loves that cannot be reconciled. They can't be brought together, it seems. You may stand between two poles of conflict that you are sure will tear you apart. You may be caught between your head and your heart or somewhere between love and loneliness. You can see no way out. And listen, the declaration of Advent is not Jesus solves all of our problems before they happen. But the good news is rather a name. Emmanuel. God with us. God is with us every time we enter into times that are tough. God is with us every time that they threaten to overwhelm us with grief. God is with us in times when there seems to be no good choice to make. And He promises peace. He promises peace. The peace of His presence. As I said earlier, there are many in this world who make the claim that peace is merely the absence of conflict. And they don't get it. They just don't get it. What they don't get is that this view of peace fails to recognize until the inner conflict is dealt with, there will be no real peace. I urge you, beloved, this morning to deal with the things in your life that are keeping you from the real peace that Jesus offers you. Maybe, maybe you're holding on to some things that are keeping you from trusting God with all that you have and all that you are. Beloved, if, if there's anything keeping you from right fellowship and a steadfast faith, you can deal with them today. You can deal with them right here in this very moment. It, I'll say this. If you walk away this morning avoiding the issues that are plaguing you, you have made the choice not to live with the genuine peace that he offers. You've made that choice. Remember, the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are thankful so in words Father, words fall so miserably short of our gratitude for what you've done in our lives, those of us that know your Son, the, the peace that you've brought us. And we, we confess, Father, we, we've, we've lost a grip on it from time to time, and we've allowed our things, situations, people to overwhelm us and to, to, to rob us of that peace, to dampen that peace, Father. But we're thankful that it's always there. You promise, Father, that you'll give it to us. We want to rest in that this morning. Well, I want to pray for those this morning that we addressed in the message. Lord, you, you know who they are. They're in this room today, and they're struggling mightily. There are issues in their life that are, that are, that are inundating them with, with, with angst and anxiety, with sorrow, with grief, with confusion, with chaos. Father, they don't know which way to turn, and they need you. They need the wisdom and the peace that you offer. And Father, there are those here today who 
have never made a public profession of faith in your son. They perhaps think they know peace. They have experienced peaceful moments. And yet there is a turmoil in their soul, Father, that they know is real. They feel that even now your Holy Spirit is speaking to them and drawing them and wooing them. And there's a war of resistance going on within. We pray, Lord God, that you will speak to them, that you will woo them, and you will win them with your spirit, not with my words, and draw them to yourself that they may know real peace in Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.